Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 92. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Today's guest pointed out that we haven't talked to an abundance of East Coast readers, and today we're making amends. Karen Weiss is a nurse practitioner in Maine who gets many of her best book recommendations from her patients, the teenage ones especially, and she always returns the favor. She says it's rare for a patient of any age to leave without a book recommendation. Karen loves talking books so much, she talked herself into a job at her local independent bookstore. And of course, we talk about that and more in today's episode. Karen has an interesting take on the book, or books maybe, she hates. And we also discuss stunning writers, well-written mysteries, and the awfulness of feeling betrayed by the bestseller list. I hope you enjoy our conversation today, because I sure did. Let's get to it. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, well, I'm so happy to have you. And thanks for bringing a little geographic diversity to our What Should I Read Next guest roster. So we have talked to a few readers around the world, one in Asia, a couple in Europe, a couple in South America, but we have not made it up to Maine yet. So thank you for bringing that to the table. Tell us a little bit about where you live. I've never, I've never been to that part of the country yet, though I'd love to go. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful here. In fact, our um, our main slogan is the way life should be. So, and that was actually, previously it was vacation land. So as you can see, we think pretty highly of ourselves here, but, um, but it's beautiful. I live right by the ocean. And uh, so I can see it actually from my front window, which is wonderful. Uh, I live here with my wife and two sons, uh, preteen and a almost 14 year old, which is super fun because it's a great place to raise kids. So I'm a nurse practitioner by day. I'm a pediatric nurse practitioner. And then I actually have a small part-time job in a local independent bookstore, which I absolutely love. How did you score that gig? So I have to say, it's always been a dream job of mine to work in a bookstore. And the independent bookstore nearby is somewhere that we frequent constantly. And every time I saw the manager, I would just sort of say, hey, if you're looking for anybody, I'm I'm free. I can do Christmas. I can do weekends. And finally, 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 it uh, there was an availability and she called me. 
So what do you, can you tell us what the story is? Oh, sure. So it's none such books and it is a, it's, <laughs> and it's named, I believe after a river, a local river. And it is just this really wonderful bookstore. It's located interestingly in a strip mall. So you honestly probably wouldn't think twice about it, but when you get in there, we just have really a fabulous selection of books and everybody comes for gifts on Saturday and Sunday afternoon. Everybody kind of runs in there before their child's birthday party. So it's also just a really lovely neighborhood gathering. What what do you do when you're in the store? What's your role? So I do everything. You know, I I think that I believed, probably like most people who dream about being in a bookstore, that you would spend all your time talking about books, that customers would come in and you would chat, chat, chat about the books you read and the things you do. But I... Um, I shelve books, I vacuum, I receive books, but there's no question my favorite part is when somebody comes in and says, what should I read? You know, or my son is a reluctant reader. What do you recommend they read? And I will say that most of my patients, so way prior to even starting at the bookstore, my patients would almost always leave with a book recommendation. So they would come to see me for an earache and leave with a prescription and a recommendation on what to read. How does that come about? Just natural chit-chat to put patients at ease? Absolutely. Natural chit-chat. And, and sometimes if it doesn't come naturally, I'll just throw in, so what are you reading? Do you want any ideas? Well, that's a nice way to personally connect with people. Or I would, I would think I've always been on the other side of that doctor's office interaction. But it sounds promising, like a way to get to know your people and get them to open up a little bit. It's really fun. It started some great conversations. And I actually get great book recommendations from a lot of my teenagers. I've read some wonderful books that they've suggested to me. So it definitely goes both ways. That's so interesting. Tell me about a time a teenager recommended a book to you. So probably the one um, most recently was one of my teens who loves fantasy, and I actually really enjoy fantasy, um, recommended the Darker Shade of Magic series. And so I picked it up and it was great. And I have put my little recommended um, bookmark in it at the store and it's selling like crazy. And I saw the teen just the other day and let her know. And she was so proud and I was so pleased. In the store, do you see a mix of locals and vacationers? Yes, yes, yes. Especially this season, we see a lot of vacationers. So that's really, really fun. We get to chat with them about where they're from and what they like to read and what are some local authors. So that's great. Do you find that they're looking for different kinds of books, the locals and the people on vacation? Um, I think the vacationers are often looking for the easy reads, sort of the summer reads. You know, they want the things that they can take to the beach and gobble up and then not feel too bad if it gets sort of waterlogged and filled with sand. Now, I don't know if these are local authors for you, but a couple book club members have pointed out that Maine seems to be a very popular setting for fiction these days, and some nonfiction as well. Like I'm thinking of Christina Baker Klein's A Piece of the World, Anita Shreve had a new book out, The Season the Stars Are Fire. I am blanking on the name of a Jennifer E. Smith book that came out a couple years ago. Maybe The Geography of You and Me, maybe? I don't recognize that one. We have Monica Wood, so One in a Million Boy. <gasps> oh, Yes, I love that book. I forgot that was Maine. Yeah, yeah. So she's one of our big writers. And then Charlene Harris, who did sort of the vampire series. So she's another big one. <laughs> Is that why I know her name, but haven't read anything by her? <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> if you toss me into it in the bookstore, I'd be happy to pick up Charlene and give her a try. <laughs> you need to come see me someday. Oh, I would love to. We would be very, very excited to host you. I think it's less than 2,000 miles. 
but more than 1500 Perfect. But of course, I'd love to go one day. You should definitely. And then we also have Chris Van Dusen. Are you familiar with him? He's a children's book author. And does- no, I don't know. Oh, he does fabulous, fabulous children's books. Beautiful picture books. So well worth looking up. What kind of titles? So he does The Circus Ship is probably his most recent. And that is actually sort of based very, very loosely on a true story of a ship that was traveling in local waters filled with animals that capsized and how the animals sort of all got to the shore. And then he takes it one step farther and talks about how the animals then sort of become part of the town and how people are originally very sort of scared of them and then how they really become they become really a huge integral part of the of the people in the community. That sounds really interesting. And we still read picture books at my house, so I'll go check him out. I love picture books, and he does some great ones. Funny, silly, and beautiful. I'm a little jealous that it's your professional duty <laughs> to be up to date on the picture book scene. I guess I can make it mine. Karen, how does working in a bookstore affect your reading life? So I think... Um, It sometimes leaves me overwhelmed because I feel like I'm pulled in so many different directions because I want to read what I want to read, but I also want to read what's on the bestseller list so that I can talk intelligently about the books. And I also want to try to read a little bit outside of my comfort zone so that I can be responsive when people ask for recommendations, um, maybe for genres I don't know as well. What is your comfort zone? I read a lot. I think I read a lot of literary fiction. I would say literary fiction and and then sci-fi fantasy are my two go-tos. Uh, I've recently started to stretch a little bit and am working on some mysteries. I finally started a Louise Penny, which you know is, is sort of a go-to from what I can tell in the mystery world. And that was great. So I'm excited. Okay. Karen, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately. And then we'll talk about what you should read next. That sounds great. Okay. But easier. Let's start with your favorites. What's book one? Okay. So book one is The Shipping News by Annie Prue. Annie Prue is just a beautiful, beautiful writer. And I read this book many, many years ago. And it's one of those that every time I look at on the shelf, it sort of gives me that warm, fuzzy feeling of, oh, I just love that book. It is sort of just in a in a quick super quick synopsis. It's the story of sort of Coyle, who is this sort of very kind of sad sack of a man with a difficult life and and not a whole lot going for him, and how he just really finds his place in the world with family, with people. So it's a story of of connections. It's a story of relationships. It's a story about people sort of finding who they are and growing to love who they are. But she does it in just this really beautiful, beautiful language um, that just there are there are points in this book where you really sort of sit and stop and just reread it and and just have to take a moment and sort of catch your breath. I love a good novel that probes connections and relationships. Okay. Is this one of the doorstop Annie Proves that I need to set aside a month of my life to read? Or is this one of the slimmer ones? So this is actually one of the slimmer ones. This one is, so it's in front of me and I'm looking now. This is just a mere 300 and this is just 337 pages. Oh, that's nothing compared to Barkskins. No, 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 no. But yeah, she, I actually just reread it in preparation for this and was 
equally, equally as taken by the language and the uh, and just how she puts it together. This time is the last time. That's such a good sign. Not only that you felt compelled to revisit it, but that it did help hold up. Definitely. And I have to say, I almost never, ever, ever reread books. Um, It's just there are too many other books out there to read. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that really does mean something. Yes. Yes. Karen, what's book two? Okay. So book two is Kate Atkinson, A God in Ruins. Uh I love this book. Oh, you did. I'm so glad. I'm so glad because I I haven't found a lot of people who've either read it or who got through it. So I'm so glad to hear that you loved it. Had those people, were they reading it on their own or had they already read Life After Life? That's a great question. I don't know. I actually started Life After Life, got frustrated and put it down, started this one, finished it, and then went back and gobbled up Life After Life. Uh Because... They're both weird books. They are. <laughs> but, but I feel like if you'd been anchored in Life After Life, which I think you probably know more about this than I do. I think Life After Life sold really well. It did. So it seems the odds of people actually reading that are a little stronger. And if they knew to expect something not quite straightforward, you'd be a little slower to give up. And a little bit complicated. Um, I was sort of glancing again through this last night and realizing that in one paragraph, she will cover three different time periods. So if you're not really sort of paying attention, you can get lost and probably a little bit frustrated. Tell us more about how, how it landed on your favorites list. Okay. So this is a book I actually started listening to on audio tape and, um, Similar to Annie Prue, I think Kate Atkinson is just a stunning, stunning writer. Just she creates beautiful characters. She she really weaves a plot. So I think weaves in that literally putting different time periods, different characters in one page, in one paragraph, but does it in such a beautiful way that you you sort of find yourself deep, deep within it before you even realize it. So I was listening to this book and there came a point where I just thought, I have to own this book. I have to, I have to own it now. And I went to the bookstore and it was still in hardcover and I almost never buy hardcovers, but I, I bought the book because I had to physically have it in my hands. And so I continued just actually reading it in the physical form and still another one that's on my bookshelf that I look at it and just get that real visceral, like, oh, I just love this book. I love I love the characters. I love the story. Um, She just does an incredible job. Yes. Oh, that makes me want to read it again. And again, so that's World War II historical fiction. It goes back and forth in time, but it feels like there's so much of that these days. So the ones that are amazing really stand out. Now, you mentioned you're trying to read more mysteries. Have you read her Jackson Brody mystery series? I loved her Jackson Brody mystery series. I've only read the first book, but I'm glad to hear that. So if I read and enjoyed the first book, I can't remember what it's called. Do you remember what it's called? Um, Case Histories. Yes. Yes. Which is not for the highly sensitive among us just because of the plot, but it's so well written. Should I keep going with the rest of that series? Yes, you should. Absolutely. There's, There's probably, it's a series of four and there's one in there that's a little bit weaker than the rest, but Jackson Brody is just one of those characters that that continues to really just grow on you. You know, I'm always tapping my foot 
once I've gobbled up like the new Deborah Crombie or the new Louise Penny going, come on, ladies, <laughs> like I, I understand it takes time to craft a book, but could you do it a little faster? And I forgot that I should be catching up on Kate Atkinson. Okay. Thank you for that. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Yeah, I think I think it is well worth it. Karen, what's your third book? Okay, so third book is completely different. I thought it would be fun to kind of mix things up a little bit. So when I'm not sort of reading literary fiction with with deep characters, I love sort of silly fantasy sci-fi. So this is A Dirty Job by Christopher Moore. Have you read anything by him? I have not read anything by him. Have you heard of him at all? I thought I had, but I'm looking at his his books and no, I don't know anything about Christopher Moore. Tell me everything. Okay, sure. So he is, um, so essentially this job, this book, A Dirty Job, is about a man, Charlie Asher, who in the space of basically one day loses his wife during childbirth, gains a daughter, and learns that he has been given the job of death. So, yep. Good morning, Charlie. You are death. And it's funny. It is just, he is so clever and he is just so sharp in his sort of storytelling that I found myself laughing out loud regularly while reading this book. It's just, it's just a silly, clever, laugh out loud kind of novel that has hellhounds and squirrel people and a a little girl who can kill people just by pointing at them and saying, kitty. And you just have to laugh. <laughs> what made you pick it up? Um, you know what? It was a recommendation by one of my favorite booksellers at the bookstore before I worked there. Is it written? So it almost sounds like Terry Pratchett, but maybe a little darker. Am I in the right wheelhouse? Yes. Yep. I think you are exactly in the right wheelhouse. But it's not, it's not super dark. Like it's not... Um, it doesn't leave you feeling disturbed. It really just leaves you feeling sort of light and silly. <laughs> so it's a little too ridiculous to be like truly dark. Exactly. Exactly. And it's set in San Francisco, which um, is great because I actually lived there for about 20 years. And he just, he really, really conjures up the place. And he will talk about specific landmarks and just, it's just fun to sort of be back there watching him and, and following his, his, uh, activities. Okay. Karen, change of pace. And I know it's one you are willing to embrace. Tell me about a book that you hate. So I had sort of two books that I really, I, I, well, I strongly disliked one and I was disappointed in the other. So I strongly disliked Sweet Bitter by Stephanie Donler. Yes. A title that got a lot of buzz. Last year? Or was it two seasons ago now? I know it's out in paperback now. I think it was two seasons ago. Did you have a chance to read it? I read about 20 pages. And I didn't I didn't put it down because I actively disliked it, like you said. Um, although I do know that lots of people said that because they found it. As I recall, I remember people saying that it was crude for their taste. But it's also been a favorite on the podcast, so opinions vary. It was just... A lot of time when I'm reading books, I'm reading them for a certain reason at a certain time. And I just remember that it wasn't what I needed to be reading then. So I put it down and I have not circled back to it. Yes. And I, I'm so curious about the people who loved it. And I actually was looking through some of the Goodreads reviews, trying to get a sense of what it was. 
And um, it seemed like many people found it this wonderful sort of glimpse into the life of, of a young woman living in New York City and working in a restaurant. But I, I think throughout most of it, I couldn't help thinking that um, I wish this young woman was making better decisions. <laughs> do you find that hard as a reader? When I do. <laughs> when you just want to tell your characters to make better choices, <laughs> you're wearing me out. Right. I'm I'm definitely one of those people that stands on the sidelines and yells, stop, please don't do that. Um, and they don't listen to me. But I, I'm one it's of those so people. so frustrating when they don't listen. So frustrating. And this one just kept getting herself into more and more trouble and making more and more bad decisions. And And she just didn't ring true for me. And maybe it's just that I don't know her or know people like her, but I I just could not, could not buy her as a genuine character. Did you think it was poorly done or did you think it just wasn't for you? I don't think it was for me. I don't think that it was poorly done. And I really, that was one of the books that I wanted to read because it was on the bestseller list. And I think that's, I wanted to read it as a bookseller because it was on the list and I wanted to be able to talk intelligently about it. I don't think it was a book I would have picked up otherwise. Do you feel betrayed by those bestseller lists sometimes? Yes. <laughs> and I avoid them a lot, actually, which um, is sometimes for better and sometimes for worse. Sometimes I just think, well, if it's on the bestseller list, I, I probably don't want to read it. So I don't. And then I miss out. Sometimes booksellers post the list in their store. Is that your situation? We do. Yes. We, we post both uh, the New York Times bestseller and then we also post the indie bestseller. I always like to see how those are different. Yes. Frequently, very much so. Has one been kinder to you than the other? I, I tend to go for the indie bestseller. With all the literary fiction. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, it's good to know that about yourself. Yes. <laughs> I embrace it. I, I, <laughs> I've given up trying to be anyone I'm not, mostly. I think, well, you did talk about stretching yourself. That's true. I, mean, I support that. Not like you're looking for affirmation, but I support that as a reader. Know what you like right. and stretch yourself gently. Sounds good to me. I like that a lot. I think that's a great motto. Karen, tell us about the book that you were just disappointed in. Sure. So that was um, The Little Paris Bookshop by Nina George. And that's another book that got a fair amount of um, attention when it came out. And the way it bills itself is a bookseller who sells books as remedies for people with um, with needs, with illnesses, either emotional or otherwise. So I was so excited thinking, well, this is right up my alley. This is what I do all the time. But for me, it really never, it, um, it never really panned out. It, it never actually did that. It told a story and I thought it was a nice story, but I was really excited about somebody who was selling books to people to help heal them. I resonate with you on this. Uh, this was the kind of book where I read the description and went, oh, this sounds amazing. And just didn't love it the way I'd hoped to, which I mean, this poor book, I pinned a lot of hopes on this book about someone who's very literally prescribing books for what ails you. But I did, it did make me want to read more by Nina George. So I have the Little Paris Cafe, or is it the Little Paris Bistro? I have that on my shelf, but I haven't read it yet. Have you? I have not. And I actually, I don't even think that I realized she had written something else. I I think I just stopped paying attention after this one. Yeah. Well, it's fairly new. It's per it's purple, like a very understated eggplant. It's really pretty. And 
I, I have high hopes for it, but I have not investigated for myself yet. Okay. Well, I'll keep listening to the podcast to find out when you do. <laughs> and I love the sound of the cover. I am, I am definitely somebody who will buy a book for the cover. So It is really pretty. I mean, it's about a cafe in Paris. Of course, it's gorgeous. Of course. Of course. Karen, what are you reading right now? So right now I am reading Anything is Possible by Elizabeth Strout. And how are you finding that? I am enjoying it. Um, Wait, another writer who's written a lot about Maine. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and I loved Olive Kittredge. Loved, loved, loved it. I, I almost had it as one of my favorites and then ended up choosing another one. But um, I I did love it. And it reminds me a little bit of sort of the Annie Prue books and that it's a character that really could be considered somewhat unlovable, who ultimately does find love. And really, you sort of start to see all of these beautiful aspects of her that you maybe didn't see in the beginning. So I loved that. And I, I liked Lucy Barton. Okay. And I'm, I'm working my way through anything as possible, slowly, but surely. Okay. Karen, is there anything you want to be different in your reading life? So I think what I'd like to be different, there's a couple of thoughts that I had. One is I used to be more daring. So I used to just choose a book purely based on its cover or purely based on what it said on the back. And I think as I've found that there's sort of less time in my life, I've become more dependent on other people suggesting books for me to read and then reading those books. So I don't know how one shifts that, but, uh, but it is something I would, like to, I would like to become a little bit more willing to stretch I think is, is that is the one big one. And I think the other piece I would like is I'd like to start learning a little bit more when I read, whether it's about times in history or um, just experiences that other people have that maybe I haven't, which I think is something I don't get as much with my literary fiction novels. Okay. I'll see what we can do. I have ideas for you and we will, we will narrow them down right after the break. Hey readers, I want... All right, Karen, I am really excited about the books you laid down and what you, what you want more of in your reading life. And it just gives me, I'm just really excited about the possibilities for you. Oh, me too. Okay. I'm a little nervous though, because so many of the titles bringing to mind are fairly new. And I feel like you've probably seen them all in the store and have opinions about them already, or maybe you've already read them. And <laughs> I'm, I'm just afraid of what those preconceptions might be. But, but we'll dive in and we'll see. That sounds great. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. For book one, I'm thinking about a mystery with kind of a cheeky tone about a historical first that I didn't know anything about. It's by Greer McAllister. It's called Girl in Disguise. Do you know anything about this? I do not. Phew. Okay. (laughs) This is historical fiction about the very first female Pinkerton detective. I might have guessed before I read this book that the famous Pinkertons were set a little bit later in history, but this is actually set during the Civil War. And there is a, this is based on an actual real life person. It's very much in the same vein as Amy Stewart's novels about Constance Cop. Have you read those? Are you? Oh, Girl Waits with Gun. Yes. Yes. I enjoyed that. That was really fun. I'm glad to hear that because this is very much in the same spirit. So our 
actual historical woman. Her name is Kate Warren. And through a chain of events having to do with inborn skills and a complete lack of cash, she ends up going undercover with the Pinkertons to who of course don't want her because she's a woman and you can't do that but it turns out that women can go places men can't and the big event we're building towards is thwarting the lincoln assassination so she wins friends and influences people and travels the american southeast doing important work that that is history you're very familiar with but it's got this tone that's very lighthearted and fun even while they're talking about like key events that impacted the fate of the nation. Oh, that sounds great. Okay. I'm glad to hear it. Okay. So we are looking for, I don't know. I don't know how to encourage you to be more daring. <sighs> Learning a little more. I think we got that with, with girl in disguise. I realized that the being more daring was something that may be more of a, a personal challenge. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think actually looking at your book challenge and, and choosing some of those is not a bad idea. Just kind of maybe even closing my eyes and pointing my finger. I'm thinking, well, that's very sweet. But I mean, we're talking. Let's get a little more personalized. So what what I'm really thinking about doing is pivoting from your literary fiction comfort zone, but not taking like a quantum leap. That sounds perfect. What do you know about Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. That's been everywhere. I have shelved that book many times. I can picture the cover, but I don't know anything about it. Oh, I was kind of hoping you'd say I tried it and I hated it because then I could squeeze in more books. Okay. Well, let's go with it. You, you made a reference to how you like a story about an unlovable character finding love, even if a specific story underwhelmed you. I believe we were talking about the Little Paris Bookshop in that case. That's the kind of story we have here with Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. It just came out this summer. It does have a very eye-catching aqua title. Readers are really split on this. Many, many people have said to me, oh my gosh, that's the best book I've read all year. And about 20% of the readers who've talked to me about it have rolled their eyes and said, oh, so overrated. So... We'll see. I found this to be very much along the same lines of A Man Called Uva and The Last Pilgrimage of Harold Fry. So I don't know what you thought about those books. I loved A Man Called Uva. I didn't like The Last Pilgrimage of, of Harold Fry so much. What didn't you like about it? You know, I knew you were going to ask that and I, I can't, I kind of can't remember. I think, so I, I think it just didn't, it didn't make much of an impression on me. I'm, I'm thinking... Those two books, I think, are kind of similar in concept, but really, really different in tone. The Harold Fry and but The trying, Man Called Uva? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes. And I really enjoyed A Man Called Uva. Bachman is funny. He's really funny in that book, even while he's writing about serious things. And um, Harold Fry, that book took itself really seriously. That may have, I think, actually, that was part of it. I think you've just nailed it, is it did feel just a little bit too, um, yeah, too self-important. Okay. I'm going to tell you about Eleanor Oliphant since I got started, but then we're going to move on because I'm skeptical. You can tell me if this sounds like it's for you, but I'm skeptical now. Okay. Like a man called Uva, Eleanor Oliphant is a, she's a young woman. I think she's in her twenties and she's very disconnected from the people in her world. She, she doesn't know 
She doesn't know what to do in any given social situation. She doesn't have any friends. She says exactly what she's thinking when she's thinking it very bluntly, carefully ordered life, uh, doesn't let anybody in. And you don't know why. And then slowly over the course of the novel, you get clues as to why she is the way she is. So she's definitely unlovable, but your heart goes out to her the more you know about her story. But then it's happened sometimes, especially in novels, something happens that pulls Eleanor out of her private world and into the world of people. And she starts to develop some relationships and get out of her shell. And simultaneously, she's like breaking out of her it's almost like she has some kind of psychological locked in syndrome. Like she's been so insular and you begin, you understand more and more why over the course of this story. And at the same time, she's finally developing relationships. And as the reader, you're like, go Eleanor, go Eleanor. Like you can do it. You can make friends. You can go to dinner. You can go to a birthday party and you just get really happy for her. And so it's a really, it's well-written. It's not cheeky, but it does have like a little bit of a rye tone, which I, which isn't like sugary sweets, which I have the feeling is not for you. It's a feel good story. That's not sappy. Mm, okay. Kind of like a man called Uwe, but not as funny, but not as funny. Yeah. Okay. Got yeah. it. The audio version would not have me like simultaneously laughing and crying like happened at the end of a man called Uwe while I happened to be putting on my mascara on a Sunday morning, which just readers everywhere you have been warned. <laughs> Do not visit with Anne on a Sunday morning after she's been reading Man Called Uva. All right. Awesome. Well, and don't make that same mistake yourself because (laughs) (laughs) not without some good eye makeup remover handy. Okay. What do you know? This is totally different. Okay. Um, What do you know about The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid? Wow. Nothing. Awesome. Okay. Her previous books, and I think there have been three, have all been contemporary women's fiction. And this is still women's fiction, but this one flips back and forth in time. This is her first historical novel. So this is really different from her. And it's gotten so much attention. I wonder if this is her breakout. So in this novel, she's telling the the story of an aging Hollywood starlet who she's very obviously channeling Elizabeth Taylor. And there's a little Rita Hayworth. And if I knew more about my like Hollywood sirens of the fifties, I would probably be able to identify more characters that Taylor Jenkins Reid is basing Evelyn Hugo on. She's kind of a mashup of those famous Hollywood stars. And before she dies, she wants to tell the world which one of her seven husbands was her true love. And so she, it seems like she almost accidentally plucks a young obscure journalist and says, you are the one that despite the fact I haven't talked about my personal life to the press ever in my whole life before I die, I want to write my celebrity tell all and I want you to tell my story. And she has a reason for doing this, but of course we don't know that at the time. And it's a, it's a good ride. So a little bit of this is Yeah, yeah, what you expect. This is the price a woman had to pay then to be successful in that kind of career. But then it goes in very unexpected directions. And it's not my favorite Taylor Jenkins Reid novel, but that doesn't mean I could put it down. I think I finished this in the scope of like 18 hours. And it's a really, it's a well-crafted story. It's not literary, but it's well-crafted. And as it begins, you think you know the story because you, I mean, you know the story of, or at least the, 
the story, the version for public consumption of Elizabeth Taylor and her many husbands. And you think you can kind of imagine what the deal is, but the story goes in a very unexpected direction. There is an unexpected friendship that meant everything to Evelyn. She was I, I think she's described as ruthlessly ambitious by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And at the heart of the story is this forbidden love that she has kept secret for all these years. But before she dies, it's very important to her on a personal level and on a cultural level to tell the world who her true love really was and how beautiful that relationship was in her life. Okay. I, for whatever reason, the novels that are sometimes based on or even loosely based on Hollywood characters or sometimes don't work as well for me. So I'm thinking about the the swans of Fifth Avenue. And um and I just I started it and I I didn't get into it. And I don't know if there's any similarities, but I um and I don't even know what it is about them. But I don't know whether that would be a barrier to this one. I wish I had my crystal ball to say if you were going to enjoy this book, but I will say that it's not biographical fiction because I really struggle with biographical fiction myself because I think it's very difficult to convince the reader that the first person voice she's reading is actually Ernest Hemingway's first wife or is actually this real iconic woman from, you know, 1962 New York. Um, it's so easy to go wrong. I think... Taylor Jenkins Reid has set herself up really well to not put that expectation on the reader. I also couldn't finish. I, I don't know if I finished. I'm, I'm thinking of like the top five most popular biographical fiction novels of the last five years. I don't think I finished any of them. And I read this one in a day. So I understand that concern. And I think she does a good job with the voice here. And I think actually, so as I'm, as we're sort of talking about this, I think this could be a good, this could be my daring novel, <laughs> right? <laughs> this could be my read something that I wouldn't normally pick up and I'm a little bit resistant to, but, uh, but yeah, especially if you, it sounds like you sort of understand my kind of troubles with some of the other ones, but you feel like this does not, that this doesn't suffer from that sort of same issue that some of them do. I don't think so. But I'm laughing because I think it's funny that you're happy that you're resistant to it because then it can meet the challenge. I like that spin. <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay. Karen, for book three, tell me how this sounds. I'm thinking of a fairly new novel by Jacqueline Mitchard that it's literary fiction, but it has a serious fantasy element. And I wonder if that combination would appeal to you. That sounds great. It's called Two If By Sea. And my daughter saw me reading this recently was like, oh, that's a great title. <laughs> What's it about? I'm like, well, I'm not really sure how to describe the one. But yes, it's a great title. It's a beautiful cover too. It seems to be a common theme here today. Definitely. So I got to warn you, the, goods re the Goodreads average rating is in the threes. It is not amazing. This is one of those books that has some people falling over themselves, loving it. And ha like a, a friend of mine said, like, this is the book that single-handedly got me out of the worst reading slump of my life. So that's high praise. But it also has some readers that say, yeah, yeah, 400 pages. It was a little long for me. So that being said, here's the premise. This is, the book opens in Brisbane. The inciting incident here is the Christmas Eve tsunami. And we have an American expat, an ex-police officer who was sidelined because of an injury. He 
happens to be out of the house when his whole family is swept away in the the flood resulting from the tsunami. And so obviously that's devastating. But then in the ensuing chaos, he, he goes out to do what he can for the rescue effort. So he ends up pulling a little boy from a car that's actively sinking underwater and he saves the child's life just with not a moment to spare. And the obvious thing to do is to take the boy to the Red Cross and say, like, I rescued this kid. See if you can find his family. I did what I can. Let's move on. But for reasons he can't explain, he he can't turn him over. And this law-abiding citizen finds himself, like, finding, uh, like, commissioning a fake passport and taking the kid home to Wisconsin where he grew up with his family. And not long after he's, he ends up calling the child Ian because it just feels like it should be his name. And over time, he begins to realize that this child, and this is the fantasy element, seems to have this strange ability to influence what people do. Like he has this strange sort of, it seems weird to call it a gift, but he has a strange um, power to help people do, sometimes to do the right thing is how he often puts it to work, like intervening in very tense situations. Like at one point he stops a, a, like a barroom brawl, but he also like Frank realizes that if the kid wanted to, he could persuade him to, I mean, I don't know, eat like a bucket of Skittles for dinner. That's not an example from the book, but, (laughs) but he, Ian could persuade this ex cop to give him a bucket of Skittles for dinner and make him think it was his idea and that it would really be good for the child. And So that's the setup. We have a cop who broke the law with a child with very strange powers trying to start over his life in his hometown, really, but in what has also become a foreign land. And two things happen that up the stakes. Uh, One, he meets meets a woman. So that's always something that changes the storyline in a novel. But also scary things start happening to the people Frank loves. And he believes it's because um, bad men in big black cars want to want Ian for their own purposes. So I just told you too much plot to sound interesting. (laughs) Here's what I like about this book. It's got this really well-developed brooding tone. It's very atmospheric. It's, It's done in such a way that it's believable, but it's not... It's not normal. And it really reminded me of a Kristen Hanna book that I don't know if you've read anything by her. I have not. I mean, I know I know of her, but have not read anything by her. If you want like the easier, breezier women's fiction version of this story, her her novel Magic Hour, the books reminded me so much of each other um, in that when there's a child psychologist called in to work with a child who was raised in a very strange situation and has just been rescued from it. And there, the, the bridge to form a relationship between this troubled girl and her, her psychiatrist, psychologist, and, and this woman who we get to know in the story is really interesting. And the tone felt very similar, but I like this because it, Mixes up two of your favorite things, literary fiction with a fantasy element. It's not like anything I've ever read before. And I don't think I'm alone in that. Mm, And it sounds like you really enjoyed it, even though Goodreads, which I don't necessarily trust the ratings, but it sounds like really, really worked for you. I did really like it. I wish the last 
I wish the last, there are about 80 pages. I wish between like page three, 300 and 380 had been condensed a little bit, but I, I did enjoy it. Yeah. Okay. That sounds great. I love, I love mixing the literary fiction and the fantasy. That's always a good combo. Okay. Karen, of those three, three and a half titles, <laughs> what do you think you'll read next? I know I feel very, um, I feel very lucky because I did. I sort of got four titles. Um, I actually am t very taken by Elef Eleanor Oliphant. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> How come it's funny? Because that was the half pick. Oh, was it? I thought that was a whole pick. Um, yeah, I think I, I clearly am drawn to these stories of people who um, are sort of who don't quite fit into life and then ultimately come out. That definitely seems to be a theme in my reading, sort of sort of come into themselves and find themselves. So I think we're going to do Eleanor Oliphant first, and then I think the, the two if by C. Okay. Well, if that's what you're looking for, I think Eleanor sounds like a great pick, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Great. Well, I cannot wait to let you know how it goes. Okay. Karen, thanks for talking books with me today. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Karen today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Karen and to let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 92. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Readers, my book Reading People comes out on September 19th, and I'm hitting the road this fall to talk books and meet you in person. I'll be in New Orleans the weekend of September 15th at the Novel Neighbor in St. Louis on September 27th, the Nest Fest near Charlotte on October 21st, and Main Street Books in Davidson, North Carolina on October 22nd. Visit annbogle.com slash events for the latest information on where I'll be this fall, plus detailed information on those stops I just mentioned. I hope to see you there. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. To be the first to hear about upcoming guests and more fun behind the scenes What Should I Read Next news, make sure you're getting our free newsletter. Sign up at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation, and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? 
On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed.